Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Amen. Well, if you've been with us last week, you noticed that uh, I started a two-week series called Start Over. And, and the reality is that without Jesus, us starting over is fruitless. And last week, I talked about the subject of living beyond our regrets and shared with you a little bit about the prodigal son. But it wasn't just the prodigal son. It was the older brother, too. And so this week, I'm, I'm going to be talking about the same thing, but it's a mirror effect. And so when we think about regret, regret, we're always looking back in the rearview mirror. Today, I want to share with you how to start over and live a life without fear. Because fear is always in front of us. And, you know, I don't know about you, but there's a couple TV shows that I just like. And one of those is called Scare Tactics. Has anyone ever seen Scare Tactics? Oh, man, I tell you, I love Scare Tactics. Matter of fact, I remember this one episode, and basically the premise of the scare tactics is what they will do is a friend, I don't know if you really call them a friend after they do something like this, but they would set up a prank where their friend would get scared out of their life. And on this one, I remember they were driving, it was, it was two people were in a vehicle, uh, the guy who set them up and the, the person who was in the back seat, and they're, they're driving up this mountain. And then they come to this um, tree knocked down in front of the, the road so nothing could get past. Now, I mean, it was a big tree. There's no way that anybody was going to move that. And I'm thinking, I would just turn around and go back home. But on scare taxis, they don't do that. What happens is the guy who's in on the joke gets out and walks in front of the headlight beam so that the person in the car with him can see him very clearly and then all of a sudden something comes out of the side grabs him and drags him into the woods and then he comes back and he's like just a guy that looks crazy and he's got blood on his hands and he's he's hitting the, the the car all over and everywhere he goes that person goes to the opposite part of the car and then all of a sudden, the, the crazy man opens up the door, climbs into the car, into the front seat, over the back seat. And now the other person that's in the car on this episode was like up in the corner of this vehicle. I mean, they couldn't get anywhere else. Now, I'm thinking there's three other doors. But apparently you don't think like that when this guy is after you. And so here they are. They're up in this corner like just, don't hurt me. And the mad, mad guy, he crawls over. And I mean, he gets like this this far from him. And he says, are you scared? And the person starts talking, yeah, I'm scared. And, he, and then the, the crazy man says, well, you shouldn't be. And, and then they stop, well, why? And then it goes, this is a joke. And then everyone comes out and the friends and they high five. And this is what this, I mean, seasons upon seasons, people, friends doing this to their friends. And, and so let me give you a little practical advice about fear that we might not have learned on scare tactics. And, and the, the first piece of advice I would like to tell you is this, that um, fear is not real. 
Now, now I know you, you probably would like to correct me on that, but, but let me help you understand this. Fear is not real. Fear, danger is real. All right? Like if, if you fall off of a 10-story building, that's dangerous. You're going to get hurt. All right? Um, that's real. Fear is a state of our mind. Fear is something that we can change. And what's interesting is that there, in my experience, there are two primary motivators in fear. And they are this. Number one is the fear of failure. And number two is the fear of rejection. The number one phobia across the United States is the fear of public speaking. Now, what's interesting is people can get up and talk and, and they don't have a problem. Their vocal cords work. They're able to share uh, ideals. They're able to convey different thoughts. But yet the ideal of getting up there, the state of mind of getting up there is what scares them. Because the, the true reality, if, if we would all answer the question, why won't you come up here and get on the stage? Why won't you get into the baptistry? Why won't you... You fill in the blank in that probably one of the two answers is you're either afraid that you're not going to be a success, fear of failure, or you're, gonna, you're afraid that people around you, people that you respect, are going to reject you. And the reality is, you are going to fail sometimes. And the reality is, you probably will get rejected by your friends, by your families, by the people that you thought were the last ones that were going to reject you. But I'm here to tell you that when with Jesus, we don't have to live with one of those two results. And, and here's what I want to say. And that is, if you think about Scripture, and if you turn into Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And I believe if you, have, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you and you want to read this, because I won't have the words up on the screen today. Um, it's page 205, if I'm not mistaken, in the Bibles that are... Provided for you. But Judges chapter 6, the Bible provides us a story of a young man who experiences living a life of fear. He has an encounter with God and then he learns what it's like to be able to live without fear. And I hope before you leave here today that I convince you that that is something that you can do as well. So Judges chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Let me tell you what's happened. If you read the very first verse in Judges chapter 6, it says that the Israelites did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. They lived a reprobate. They lived a life not like the chosen ones by God himself. And so he allowed the Midianites to come and to oppress them, to take them and just make their lives Miserable. And so for seven years now, Gideon has lived this life of misery. For seven years, the Israelites have lived through this, where they have been abused, used, misused, 
you name it, you think your life is bad, theirs is worse. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now, it's interesting. You know, we think about our, our fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers, and they tell us about the good old days. They tell us about, you know, in the uh, 50s when there were revivals where oh, whole cities were being transformed. And when we look around and look at our culture in the United, just in the United States, we have to wonder, where is that God? Because that's exactly where Gideon was. He was wondering, where is the God that, that brought us out of Egypt? Where is the God that did all those miracles? Where is the God that sustained them for 40 years? Where is that God? Why has he given us over to the Midians? Now, I think they all knew the answer. But here's, what's, here's what happens. When God comes to us, just like he did with Gideon, and he puts a calling on our life. And I believe that if you are a child of God, if you are a Christ follower, that God has put a calling on your life. And just like Gideon, in Gideon's story, he had that calling right here by the angel of the Lord. And then here's what happens. And, and I'll bet this happens to us too. In verse 15. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I mean, he had his excuses lined up. Not only is my family, the smallest family, the least amount of guys, but I'm the youngest brother. That's why I'm here in the wine press, you know, beating out the wheat. How can that be? In verse 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Folks, if you don't get anything else tonight, if you've got a calling on your life, I can tell you this, that the God who created the heavens and the earth says that he is with you, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. It may not be an experience like Gideon had here. It may be a night, uh, Saturday night with uh, Domino's Pizza and, and uh, some Pepsi. But I promise you that God is there and God is with you. And so as we watch Gideon's story unfold, we see that he has this calling from God. The next thing that we see that happens is that he gives God his excuses. And I'm from the weakest tribe, and I'm the weakest of the weakest tribe. And then the third thing that happens is that Gideon gets clarity. And I believe this happens in all of us, that there comes a point in our life. And let me read verses 21 and 22. And it said, Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Now, what had just happened in those verses between 16 and 20 is that um, Gideon said, Hey, uh, let me go and get a present for you. And so he went and he prepared a goat and he prepared some cakes for this man to take on his journey and this man who was the angel of the lord said put that on the rocks and then pour the broth that you prepared for it over it and sit the the cakes there beside it and then he called down fire from heaven and consumed it and and here is gideon's response in verse 22 then gideon perceived that he was the angel of the lord 
And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And I don't know if you understand this, but in the Hebrew tradition, if you saw the Lord face to face, your life was done. You wouldn't survive. And so that's exactly what Gideon thought was going to happen. And verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So as we watch Gideon's life unfold, he has this calling. He gives the excuses. And then he has a moment of clarity where he knows that was the Lord. That was the Lord who was telling me that I am going to be the one who helps deliver the people. And so go with me over to verse 25. And it said, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And so here's what happened. When it, you know, when it says that the children of Israel doing that which was evil in the Lord, they were bringing in other gods and they were worshiping other gods. And in this case, the god Baal. And then beside the temples, they would grow a tree, and and it would would be a massive tree, and they would call it an Asherah. It would either be a, a pole or a tree, but in this case, it was definitely a tree. And he tells Gideon to go and cut that down. And so Gideon, in verse 27, I'm sorry, verse 26, And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, you've got the, the picture here, right? The angel of the Lord comes up to Gideon and says, Oh, mighty man of valor. Now, has Gideon done anything yet that demonstrates that he was a mighty man of valor? He hasn't. He's given excuses. He's afraid that he's going to die. And then when God tells him exactly what to do and he finally takes action, what does he do? He does it at night in secret. I don't know that Gideon's much different than us. You know, uh, it's interesting that I would bet that if you talk to Daryl, getting baptized in front of a bunch of folks is not the easiest thing to do. But it's interesting that God calls us to do that as a public profession of our faith. You know, if it was Gideon and he had to get baptized, he'd probably do it on a Monday with two or three people. Does that qualify? Yeah, okay, you know, he'd probably take us to Acts, you know, where the, the Ethiopian eunuch got baptized with just him and Philip. And say, look, that's all they needed was two people. That, that's the way Gideon would have done it. But you know, that's not the way Daryl did it. Look, family and friends here to celebrate in this great, wonderful day. But here's what I want to tell you is that when you take action... Things are going to change. You know, I remember not too long ago, uh, just down the road, I was stationed at Scott Air Force Base. I um, was attending First Baptist Church, Bo Fallon, and the Lord had laid on my heart and that I needed to start a men's group. And, um, you know, he didn't appear to me like this angel did. He just, uh, it, it was something that I couldn't get beyond, and I, and I knew that, that this was what I was supposed to do. And not only did he lay it on my heart that I was supposed to um, start a men's group, but he gave me the name of six men that I was supposed to start it with. And so um, 
I gave God some excuses of why that wasn't going to work. And, and then finally, after I had that moment of clarity, I stepped out in faith. I took action. And I remember I'd, um, I'd, I'd sent an email out to the men. I'd invited each of those six men personally. It was a Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And so I had the house already. Carrie had made some nice snacks, and she'd gone upstairs. And so I, I sat there from about 6.30 on, 6.45. I was just watching. 7 o'clock comes. No one's here yet, and I'm looking down the street. 7.20, I give up. I start clicking the lights. I mean, this, this was, I mean, what had happened? Did I, did I not hear God right? Did I not understand what he was saying? Was I not supposed to do it on Thursday nights at 7? I, I didn't know the answers, and so I'm clicking on the lights. I'm, uh, I'm turning them off, and I'm, I'm going to bed at 7.20. And then as we were starting to walk up the steps, Carrie says, I think someone's coming. And sure enough, there was a guy walking up to the door. And so you know what I'm doing? I, I open up the door, and he goes, is this where the men's Bible study is? I go, you bet. It's, this is the place. Come on in. And then I'm clicking on lights as we're walking through the house. And so I just I said, hey, you know, you're the only one who showed up. I, I'd give up. I was about to go upstairs and quit. He goes, well, let's do it. And so we did it. That next week, four guys showed up. By the time we were done with that Bible study, we had over 15 men in that. But here was another moment of clarity for me. Is that not one of the six names that God gave me showed up. And here's what I learned. It wasn't about the six names. It was about me being obedient. It was about me getting over my fears. Is about me putting myself out there and, and willing to accept the fear of rejection in the name of Christ. My life changed through that experience. Before the year was over, over 50 different men had come through our home into one of those Bible studies. Since then, hundreds, if not a thousand people, have been in small groups as a result of what the Lord has prompted me to lead. Not only did my life change, but Gideon's life changed. If you turn over to verses 34 and 35, it says, that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abezerites were called out to follow him. In verse 35, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, and Zebulon, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. And here's what happened. 32,300 men showed up to follow the guy who was threshing out the wheat in the wine press. 32,300. Why? Because one man received the calling, took action. Now, he took action with fear. He took action with trepidation. But I'm here to tell you that when we take action, trust me, that the enemy will always put an overwhelming obstacle right in front of you. He's going to put an overwhelming problem or obstacle where God has put a promise. You can take that to the bank. And not only is he going to put that overwhelming problem, but you're going to have a choice. Am I going to choose fear 
Or am I going to choose faith? Because here's what happens. Fear is going to kill your dreams while faith gives birth to new dreams. Fear is going to destroy the hope that you have while faith ignites hope. Fear weakens your resolve and my friend's faith provides determination. Let me ask you this. What is the benefit of fear? You see, fear is going to generate stress in our lives while faith provides peace. Fear is going to lead to destructive habits that we will live out while faith is going to create healthy ones. Fear is a tool of the Satan and faith is a shield in God's armor. Fear is a subtle disease and faith is a medicine that can overcome it. I ask you this question, what is the benefit of fear? You see, fear asks what if while faith declares what will be. Fear says it costs too much and faith tells you no cost is too great. Fear says that your potential is limited while faith sees God's plan for your life. Fear sees the worst. Faith sees the best. I ask you once again, what is the benefit of fear? You see, fear is going to make you irrational and faith, my friends, is going to make you radical. Fear plays it safe and faith says go for it. Fear, my friends, holds grudges while faith forgives. Fear hates and faith loves. You know, it's interesting that I've I've shared one with you, some practical advice on fear. And I've shared a biblical story about how one man overcame fear. But let me share with you what God and his advice is about fear. And it's very simple, this. Fear not. Boy, now don't you glad you came to church to find out what was, how can I live a life without fear? Fear not. It's so easy, right? Matter of fact, it's so easy that God put it more than 365 times in the Bible, either fear not or don't fear or one iteration of that. God cares so much about you that every day of the year, he's given you a message that you don't have to fear. And on those days when it's the darkest, on those days when it's the worst, He's here to tell you, don't fear multiple times. But you know what? Our God does, doesn't, just doesn't leave us with that message to not fear. He tells us how to not fear, and that is to love. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You know, here at our church, one of the things that uh, we are committed to, and that is to love God and to love people. But when we say that we're going to love God and love people, we need to do it the way God wants us to, and that's to do it perfectly. But when, when God uses the word perfect, what he means is complete. No strings attached, no clauses. And what happens is when we learn to love God completely, perfectly, with no strings attached, no clauses, our life situation changes. When we choose to love people perfectly, with no strings, no no, if they do this, I'll love them. What happens is our relationships change. And when we learn to love God and learn to love people perfectly, our ministry changes. Let me share with you the rest of the story from the book of Judges. If you turn to chapter 7, and I'm just going to start reading in verse 9. 
That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it to your hand. Now, what you're missing is, uh, in, in the verses that I've skipped, is that the, how, how many men showed up? 32,300. And the Lord told him, you know what, that's too many guys. Now, I, I want to share something with you, and, and I think this is theology, but I'm going to put this in the basket of Ronology, because I know it fits there for sure. And that's this. If you look, Gideon questioned God three different times. And he said, prove yourself. If, if you really want me to do this, prove it. You, you've heard the story about the fleece, right? And, and, and what's fu- funny is that God challenged him the same amount of times. And so he uh, says 32,300 is too many. They're, they're going to think you did it in your power. I, I want them to know that I did this. Ask anyone who's afraid, raise their hand and send them home. 22,000 men walked out. He goes, there's still too many. Get in. Um, what I want you to do is take them down to the, the river. And those that, that drink with the cup and where they're looking around, those are the guys you want. Everyone else, send them home. 10,000 gone. He's left with 300 men. All right, now remember, this, this is a roller coaster of life that we all ride. This is a roller coaster of life that, that Gideon's riding. You know, he's chick, 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 going up to the top, and, and it's getting higher than he wants it to go. And, and every couple of feet, God's sending more men home. But see, God, God says that he's there for us and with us. Amen? He's there for us and with us. Watch this. He doesn't leave him stranded. In verse 9, that same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Verse 10, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down, to, uh, down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. Let me just tell you, it was a lot more than 32,000. And their camels were without number, and as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent and struck it, that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. Folks, we need to get to that point in our lives. We need to get to the point where we've answered God's calling, where we have Uh, gotten rid of our excuses where we've taken action on what God has put in our lives and where we see God so real that we're ready to worship you know I talked about that earlier we worship through song we worship through giving we worship through the message you know we don't stop worshiping when the service ends in a little bit we worship all week long And what you'll find out is when you go through all these steps and when you trust God, he'll bring the victory. And that's exactly what he did in Gideon's life. But the question I have for you is this. Where are you at in your story? 
What does the Midians look like in your life? Who are the people or things that are oppressing you? Has it been seven years, seven months, seven days, or 70? It doesn't matter. God in heaven, your Father, is there with you. Maybe you, you've recognized who the Midians are, but let me ask you this. What does your wine press look like? Where are you hiding? See, I made a bold statement that I believe everyone in here who claims the name of Christ, God has a calling on your life. And if you're not living out that calling, where are you hiding? Are you hiding behind your age? Are you hiding behind that you're new? Are you hiding behind that God's not going to use you? Are you hiding behind it'll never work? But all God wants is for you to take action. What excuses have you given to God? Here's, here's what I can tell you. That no matter what excuses you've given to God, that he says start over. Live a life of faith. Live without fear. No matter who the Midianites are in your life, God says you can start over. You can live a life of faith. You can live without fear. No matter what excuses you've given, no matter who the enemy is, no matter what is going on in your life, God said today you can start over. You can live a life of faith. You can live without fear. The question is, are we going to do that? Because here's something that maybe brings clarity to you, and that is this. What if the life that you want and the life that God has planned for you is hidden in your biggest problems? What if it's just on the other side of the worst failure you've ever experienced? What if the life that you want to live, that God has birthed in your heart, is on the other side of your greatest fear? Will you, like Gideon, take action? Will you, like Gideon, see the Lord's hand and worship? Because once you take action, you're going to see your life change. You're going to see the Holy Spirit do things that you never thought could be done. You're going to see lives that you wondered and you thought, there's no way that God's going to be able to turn this person around. And God will turn them around, turn them upside down, shake them up, and then use them to change 100,000, 10,000 people's lives. That's the God we serve. That's the God of Gideon from Judges. That's the God that you'll find in every book of the Bible. How do we then live a life of faith? How do we get beyond the fear? Well, here's what happens. When the enemy gets into the car and has you up in the corner, scared beyond all measure. And he says, are you scared? You've got a big brother in heaven. You've got a heavenly father that says you shouldn't be. Because I'm bigger than the enemy. I'm bigger than your excuses. The plan I have for you is bigger than anything that you've ever thought. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, you have been here today. Lord, we thank you 
We lift up Daryl, and we just ask you to bless his life. God, we thank you for coming into his heart three years ago, but Lord, we celebrate his public profession today. Maybe you're here today and this story resonates with you and you, you feel like this story could be your name instead of Gideon's name. And I don't know if it's a calling on your life or if you're in excuse land or if you're hiding or maybe you've taken action and you're still a little bit scared. But if you've resonated somewhere in the story and you would allow us to just pray with and pray for you, would you just raise your hand and say, I want God to use me and continue to use me? Lord, you see the hands God, but more importantly, Lord, you see the hearts. God, I just ask that you would that, that you would allow them to see, just like Gideon saw, that the enemy is quaking. The enemy is scared. And it's not because of who we are, but it's because of what you've done, who you are, and what you will do through us. God, we rebuke the enemy. And we claim the territory of the greater Centralia area in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me? Maybe this morning you've come into this church and you've never experienced giving your life over to the Lord. Let me share with you a time when Jesus experienced fear like never before. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Luke 22 tells us about this. And it says that he was in agony. And what that means is he was in great fear. And Jesus, the Son of God, asked him, if it's possible, take this away. Let's do this another way. Because Jesus knew exactly what he was going to go through physically. He knew what was about to happen to him over the next 24 hours. And he asked, is there another way for this? But not my will, yours be done. He did that. He took those stripes. He took the rejection for us, for every one of us here. If you've never taken Jesus up on that offer, don't leave today without that. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.